Last year, the BMJ decided that we would no longer publish research funded, wholly or partially, by the tobacco industry. This was following the systematic abuse of science by the companies. As Fiona Godley said at the time, the tobacco industry, far from advancing knowledge, has used research to deliberately produce ignorance and to advance its ultimate goal of selling its deadly products while shoring up its damaged legitimacy. This led to questions about the publication of pharma-funded research in the journal, as inevitable parallels have been drawn between the worst excesses of that industry and the tobacco one. Now, to debate whether journals should stop publishing research funded by the drug industry, we're joined by two authors of the Head to Head. Firstly, arguing yes is Richard Smith, former BMJ editor and often commentator on the state of publishing. Hi, Richard. Hello. And arguing no is Trish Grove, the BMJ's deputy editor, who looks after our research content. Hi, Trish. Hello. Now, Richard, um, in your head-to-head, you say that you think the drug industry is as bad as uh, the tobacco one. Is that right? Yes. I mean, clearly, tobacco, as Trish says, is completely harmful, and we'd like to live in a world where there is no tobacco. Clearly, we don't want to live in a world where there are no drugs. So I entirely accept there's a fundamental difference. But the two arguments the BMJ used for stopping publishing research from tobacco, uh, funded by tobacco companies, is firstly that a lot of the research is corrupt, and secondly that the tobacco companies are using journals to promote their harmful product. And unfortunately, exactly the same arguments apply to pharmaceutically funded research. I mean, we have overwhelming evidence of how corrupt and misleading it is. Uh, and, And in a sense, this is more important than tobacco-funded research because so much research in journals is funded by the pharmaceutical industry, whereas tobacco-funded research is comparatively rare. And readers of journals are being completely misled about the safety and effectiveness of drugs. And then, unfortunately, the main reason that pharmaceutical companies are keen to publish their research in journals is because it's a very powerful marketing mechanism. So you publish your research in the New England Journal, you then buy 250,000 reprints and you send them to people all over the world who never actually read them but have the impression that the New England Journal, I use this just as one example, a very powerful, impressive journal is effectively supporting the drug. So, you know, we argue, Peter Gotcher and I, that really the time has come for journals to stop publishing research funded by pharmaceutical companies and instead let all of that research be published in full, not just in a summary form, but with all the basic data on a website. And that's going to be preferable to everybody. Unfortunately, of course, it'll be harmful for journals who make so much money out of publishing pharmaceutical funded research. Trish, what do you say? Yeah, you've changed a bit, Richard, because uh, when you were editor of the BMJ, you decided not to ban tobacco-funded research because you said that was anti-science. So I would argue, and I have argued in my piece, that actually your stance now is not just anti-science, but it's potentially anti-health. For the very reason that you and I both agree on, which is that uh, tobacco products are always harmful, whereas drugs are not always harmful. And I would argue, and I have argued, that the research about drugs much of which is funded by the the drugs industry, 
is sometimes good. So what journals need to do is make sure that they can spot the good studies, the studies where the research question is relevant and it really matters to doctors and most importantly matters to patients, and where the study is well planned and the plan is in the public domain with a published protocol and a registered study, and where the conduct is good and the, the study is very transparently reported with all of its methods and results at full length and importantly, where appropriate, the patient level data in a format where people can get hold of the data when they need to. So it's up to journals to, to, to make sure that's happening and certainly at the BMJ we're working really hard on that. And importantly at the BMJ we've added this, this extra layer that the authors have to commit to making their patient level anonymised data set available on request. Meanwhile we're also using our journalistic um, powers, if you like, at the BMJ to make the regulators do a better job and to make sure that all trials are registered and their results are made public. Now Richard, um, the measures that uh, Trish talks about there, would they assuage you? And if not, are there any measures that you think um, could actually make it okay for, for journals to publish um, RCT from, from drug industries? No, sadly, it doesn't convince me. I, of course, stand by the position that everything should be published. And, of course, the great problem is, as the BMJ knows better than <clears throat> almost any other journal, only a minority of what's available is being published. Um, so I absolutely stand by everything should be published and is full of form as possible. And actually, I would apply that to, to the tobacco industry as well. The problem is the BMJ is publishing a minute proportion of all the possible research and it's not, I mean what they are sent is not, you know, is, is stuff that the pharmaceutical company particularly wants to promote and unfortunately as Trish well knows peer review is a very ineffective mechanism at sorting out uh, what is deceptive in these articles. So I would much rather, and there seems to be no reason not to do so apart from the financial interest of journals, for going for everything being available on a publicly available database that is owned by probably some kind of public authority, not any kind of special interest, and then, you know, let the world look at that material and extract from there and make sense of it as best they can. I mean, despite all that Trish describes, the end result, even for the BMJ, which I entirely accept is trying extremely hard, is that it's still delivering up a biased, deceptive sample of research. And that applies even more so to many other journals which um, publish drug company-funded trials. And of course, it's no coincidence that on the whole, all the big uh, positive trials are published in prestigious journals and either the stuff that shows that these drugs are not so effective or not so safe is either not published at all or it's published in some kind of obscure journal. And we'd be much better off if everything was simply available on databases and the BMJ then picked out what really matters to patients and doctors and presented it in a very kind of critical way. Yep, Trish? Yeah, glad you um, ended with patients and doctors because it's where we begin and end. Uh, your model of having everything out there in the public, um, how does that help doctors and patients? Because what are they what are they supposed to do with that information? You know, you're a patient with a perhaps a rare disease and you're you're looking on the web to try and find information about what treatments you should be um, perhaps uh, try, trying to trying to get hold of through your doctors. Um 
Um, and how do you know how, whether to trust or even understand the information that's there in those databases? So although this isn't a debate about peer review, this is, this is really quite a focused debate about should journals do with uh, drug studies what, they're, what some of us are doing with tobacco studies. Um, I don't think we can escape your, your arguments about peer review. Um, I know peer review is very imperfect. We all, do, we all know that. But again, many journals, including the BMJ, are trying pretty hard to both improve that and open it up completely. And at BMJ Open, the entire process is completely open. You can see the submitted article and you can see the peer reviewer's signed comments and you can see the author's responses to them. So should you want to, you can see how the thing got published and how it, it got changed during the process. Um, so... I don't think at the moment we're in a position where it's actually helpful to doctors or patients to have completely unfiltered, huge wadges of data out there in the public domain. Um, I mean, again, there are lots of uh, initiatives going on at the moment to at least provide data to researchers. They are prospective, and the All Trials campaign and Ben Goldacre particularly are very forcefully arguing for the um, opening up of of um, the evidence on the drugs that are in current use. I think it's great that that actually the industry, the drug industry, has realised it's time to, to set this up prospectively. Now we need them to do it retrospectively. But again, that is a different argument. We, I don't particularly want to get into that. But back to, you know, is am I being an apologist for Big Pharma or even for journals? And absolutely not, not letting either of those off the hook. Um, I keep coming back to, however, the fact that at heart, we have products that are aimed at improving health and we have journals that have that same aim and that that's a reasonable fit. What we need is for journals, for their editors and peer reviewers and, and their authors and their readers to make sure that we're publishing the relevant studies and doing the relevant studies and uh, publishing them in ways which are really, really useful and um, usable. What you're failing to recognise, Trish, is that you know the BMJ is publishing, in effect, sort of random bits of information. <clears throat> I mean, no matter how well you process them, you're not going to be able to spot what is corrupted, and you're being used as a means to promote a particular agenda. Now, I'm not suggesting for an instant that, you know, a patient goes to, you know, this website where everything is available and tries to make sense of it, there will, of course, and there already are all kinds of mechanisms for trying to make sense of that. You know, systematic reviewers, the Cochrane Collaboration, NICE, etc., etc. They are the people who can filter this material effectively. The problem with the current system is that most of what needs to be published is not published. Random bits are published. I mean, I see that you're doing all kinds of noble stuff, but and it took you know it was rather painful for me to realise this after 25 years as an editor that actually because we now can make everything available in a way that we couldn't at one time. Journals are a very not only inefficient and ineffective uh, mechanism for disseminating important information, they're actually a corrupter and a bias to stand in the way of what would be a much better system. So I think it's entirely possible that the BMJ could say tomorrow, okay, let's just stop publishing all original research from pharmaceutical companies. Let's concentrate entirely on interpreting what's available, having the debate around that, perhaps publishing systematic reviews, although actually 
I wouldn't even publish systematic reviews. I would let them be available in full. You know how long a full and proper Cochrane review is. I think the job of journals, if they have any job at all, is to find the, the, the material and present it in an attractive and sexy way and then allow the debate to go on around it. Okay, well, just just two responses to that. First of all, again, journals can do something other than publishing random stuff. Um, the BMJ, as you know, Richie, because it's a policy you brought in, um, very rarely publishes placebo-controlled trials, the ones that are done for the regulators, which may be useful if you're a super specialist or perhaps working in cancer, but aren't actually awfully useful to 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 general medicine and they have all sorts of um, potential biases. So we we say what we're interested in are the studies of comparative effectiveness, you know, a new treatment or a new indication for an existing treatment versus the current best treatment. And those are the ones that we that we want. You're right, we don't get very many of them, but thank goodness more are coming in now, not least because of the um, efforts in the US to uh, boost comparative effectiveness research. And the other kind of study that we are getting a lot of are network meta-analyses, which allow for these cross-comparisons um, across different treatments. They're pretty complicated, um, but they are... are um, we're getting a lot of those and we think that's a good place for the BMJ to be in. I just want to make one last point, actually, and that, that all of this um, applies as much to non-industry researchers. As as uh, and I've been an editor for 25 years, I've, I've been here 25 years, and um, we see many more studies done by doctors and academics, and we see a lot of spin in those. We see a lot of trials where we say, great, we want to publish it because the question's great, the methods are great. Um, actually, you didn't find a benefit of your intervention. You've tried to spin one, but it ain't there. So we will publish your study as long as you stick to what you found, which is that you didn't find a benefit. Um, so, uh, you know, so much of what we're talking about is also done by uh, other researchers. And as as journals, I think we have a really important role to play in trying to improve the quality, relevance and transparency of research across the board. And Richard, last point from you. Let me, um, when I say random, I mean, I know that you select the material you, you through the material you get, but you're sent effectively, you know, a fragment of all the information that's available. And what you are sent you know, is no matter how well you process it, it's only one very biased and particular part of the world. And I agree that actually there are the same problems around a lot of research by academics. But that's why I think everything should be available in full-on databases. And the better mechanism, rather than publishing bits and pieces of information in some 20,000 journals, is for all of that material to be available in one place and for people who know how to do effective systematic reviews to sort through it. I mean, I suppose a point to end on, unfortunately, as we make the point in the article, I mean, actually, people being killed by drugs is, you know, is one of the leading causes of death, even the third. So supplying people with a constant stream of misinformation, which is unfortunately what journals are doing, is a very harmful exercise. Well, uh, thank you to Trish Grove and Richard Smith there. 
If you want to read more or comment on the debate, uh, have a look on bmj.com where that head-to-head has just been published and you can also find out how to take part in our Twitter debate which will be going out on the 21st of this month. So uh, check that out.